0: Mac and Heath. (laughs) When I was a kid, people used to tell jokes. Everybody knew a bunch of jokes. You mean like a... I've got a joke to tell you. Yeah. Two guys walk into a bar, that sort of thing. Yeah. Not just like the the organic expression of humor that happens. You're talking about an official joke.
1: Yeah, they would say, Hey, I heard a joke I want to tell you. Or, you know, and there were all sorts of different jokes and comedians told jokes. Yeah. On late night shows. My dad always had a joke. And it you know, like now that people have dad jokes and the whole point is they're they're not like funny, they're silly. People just knew a bunch of
0: jokes. And nobody tells jokes anymore. Part of the reason why you grew up telling jokes, though, the audience needs to understand, uh, is that you grew up in a time warp. That's right. I did. <laughs> I did. So I grew up in the 1950s. Yeah, your birth certificate says 1980. that you, you grew up in the 1980s and 90s. Yes. But in your true. small town environment, you really grew up in the 1950s yes. when people told jokes. Yes, that's so that exactly right. So when you say people right. don't tell jokes anymore... You mean since World War II. Yes, yeah, that's, that, that's exactly right. That is 100% true. Okay. Uh, but you think it's a lost art form.
1: Well, I mean, I, I don't necessarily like find that I miss it a whole lot necessarily, but I'm intrigued by it. And I was struck by this the other day because my uh, son and I were driving along listening to Marty Robbins, uh, one of my dad's. Again. Kind of, <laughs> exactly. I grew up in the 1950s. We are listening to Marty Robbins' Uh, You're gonna have to describe Marty Robbins for this is you know, an the old, tens of people listening. Yeah, this is an old Western, country and Western <laughs> singer. And the album is called Gunfighter Ballads and Trail Songs. And it has this fabulous song on it called Big Iron. And it's about this gunfighter, this uh, Arizona ranger who goes and, you know, captures the bad guy, whatever. He Kills him, I guess, actually. Anyway, so I'm playing the song in the car with my 15-year-old. And I was like, Elijah, you know this song? And he's like, oh, yeah, it's one of Papa's favorites. Papa is my dad. Yeah. Uh, he's like, it's one of Papa's favorites. And I said, yeah, exactly. And he goes, I also know it cause there's a bunch of memes about it. And yeah. I thought, of course there are, yeah, yeah. Of, of course there are a yeah. bunch of, uh, big iron Marty Robbins, <laughs> like early sixties, I think, yeah. uh, memes. And so, yeah, I get on TikTok and I get on the, you know, just a Google image search for big iron memes, please. Yeah. Our audience search this stuff up. <laughs> And they're hilarious, and, you know, they're very funny. And I was laughing about it, and so I uh, dropped Elijah off, and I'm looking at these things and giggling. And, and then I send a, a text to Elijah, my 15-year-old, and my father. My father is, uh, was born in 1950, actually. Mm-hmm. And I say, I kind of told my dad the story, and I send one of the memes, and I was like, this has been a neat little intergenerational thing where I have one foot in Elijah's culture memes, yeah. another in my dad's culture. And I was like, this is neat seeing these memes about this song that you like, Dad. And my dad
0: texts back and goes, what's a meme? What's a meme? Yeah, I saw that coming. <laughs> so I, I just laughed and laughed. How did you describe it? I'm, I'm interested in what your answer to that was. How do you succinctly describe to a, a boomer what a meme is who doesn't know what a meme is?
1: Well, I, I mean, he had seen some. He just didn't know they were called that. But I said, it's like a single picture that you put different sets of words on. To communicate something,
0: but to me, it's a meme. is more like, it's an inside joke for gen for certain people. Maybe a gen, I hate to do like generational thinking kind of stuff, uh, but to me, a, a meme is an inside joke for a certain group of people, and it, it's it yeah. has words on a picture, but you won't get it if. You don't get that humor if you're not in that group. Yeah, if you if you don't listen to Big Iron, the yeah. Big Iron memes are going to go <laughs> right over your head.
1: But if you're my dad and you do listen to Big Iron, but you're not familiar with like, you know, uh, a picture of Boromir yeah. holding his finger up, you don't know that one does not simply draw on the Arizona Ranger. That's this right. Not funny. Yeah. He's like, what? Who
0: is that guy? You know? Well, and even more so, your dad wouldn't understand, like, some of our students' memes have gotten so esoteric. Like, you know, uh, the generation generational memes are funny. We've talked about this, how there would be a frog with an exploding volcano and an exclamation point and my students would be cracking up. Oh yeah, they look absurdist. Yeah, it's just so absurd for the sake of itself and you know your dad would look at that and go I I don't get it. Like what's happening to the world? It's exactly.
1: <laughs> so, like the memes that my son now likes to send me and my dad are like, you know, boomer, I hate my wife. Yeah. Gen X, I hate my life. Gen Z and yeah, it's yeah. like uh, Elmo, Kermit, Kermit the Frog. Yeah, you know Elmo. <laughs> Elmo putting his face in what looks like cocaine or something. Yeah, and Elijah's like, ah, that's not. So I just think about how odd, like this shift from telling jokes to the sort of absurdist humor of the Gen Z. And I'm not trying to judge one or the other. Yeah. But you do cultural studies. I want you to explain to me what's going on with that.
0: Well, and it it is an interesting question to also consider while we're thinking about it, does does this create culture or does this reflect culture? The, what is the this and that sentence? Whatever, what is the this yeah, this whatever that? popular culture you're consuming, mm-hmm. right? Do these memes become of uh, Kermit the Frog with a volcano in the background and an exclamation point? Does that end up getting shared so many times that it creates a certain kind of cultural value of absurdism? There is nothing. Yeah. we we reached the end of the Internet, this meta-irony, you know, moment? Or does it give voice to the reflection? I mean, I don't want to completely... It's be both, right? Yeah, of course, yeah. I don't want to... Com- <laughs> you know, there's people out there rolling their eyes at this comparison. It's, it's not like uh, abstract art, <laughs> you know, but it is in the same vein, and this is what I mean. You know, if you go to uh, an, an art museum, a modern art museum, and some people see squiggly lines on a canvas, you know, and then you go and look at the plaque, and it says this was created during the Spanish Civil War, and is an, an outward expression of an inward state. And you're like, oh, you know, cool. I'm I'm not equating Kermit the Frog exploding volcano meme with that completely. Why not? But in some sense, it's doing the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I could see uh, future art museums housing memes, NFTs of of absurd, you know, things. And you read it on the plaque, and it's like. This is an expression of post 9/11, you know, uh, internet, whatever, and it being like, oh, well, that's in, that that does teach me something about it. Uh, it's easier to look at some other popular culture memes, like films or even television, to get a to get an idea of this. You
1: think that that film and television are memes?
0: No, 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 no. I mean, it's easier for film and television to give some kind of expression oh, to. Uh, where are we in time and space? How does this reflect uh, the values of people? Okay. Uh, is it creating uh, culture? Is it reflecting culture? That sort of thing. So
1: you think that, like, looking at the way that we do humor tells us something about the characterization of the yeah. generation or the particular culture that's making.
0: Is that your point? Yeah, or our values at the, at this time, like, or like what as we're trying to make sense of the world, it's helping us to do that potentially. For example. David Foster Wallace, and this was probably in the mid 90s, maybe, says, Postmodernism is dead, and I can prove it through the show The Seinfeld. And he says, Here's a show about absolutely nothing. It bills itself as a show about nothing, right? So one episode's about getting a table at a Chinese restaurant, and the next episode's like, What do you do when. Your uh, friend who has a baby has an ugly baby. Mm. <laughs> and Th- that's a serious question. Yeah, and it's like Absolutely. how am I supposed to how am I supposed to deal with this? What am I supposed to say? You know, do I have to go to this party? And they spent an entire episode dealing with this. And so it taught a generation how to deconstruct, right? This is what you do in every situation. Here are the values of the situation, here's how you navigate the world. And in many ways that was a reflection of my generation, where irony was king. So yeah, what you do is laugh at it,
1: make fun of it, don't take it seriously. Exactly,
0: you know. And I'm I'm raised by uh, people who are raised by boomers, right? So oh, actually, I'm raised by a boomer, aren't I? Yeah. Yeah. My my parents. It's like... Yeah. My my dad was born in 1955, but his dad was like World War II Greatest Generation. Right. He raises my dad, and it's a very kind of slippery terrain from. The uh, World War II, greatest generation, modernism, we've solved everything through my dad's generation, the hippies and, you know, Vietnam and all this sort of thing. Your dad's and, a hippie? Well, his sisters were. Cool. like uh, on the Wonder Years. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's a television show I watch because I was <laughs> born yeah. in a time warp. That's right. So, you know, so the children of of these people arrive at this moment where it's like, okay, uh, how am I supposed to make sense of the world? And Seinfeld says, here's how you make sense of the world. You don't. Yeah, here's how I can reflect the values of the moment and help you make sense of it. Everything's just really, really funny, right?
1: Yeah, so, but that's interesting because it seems to me like you're using the language of make sense of the world. But really, Seinfeld is not about... like he's, the, the whole point of that kind of super ironic postmodernity is to say... Look, the world doesn't make sense. That's right. And there is no making sense of it. The best you can do is laugh and move on. Yeah. Kind of with a, you know, a wink and a nod. Exactly. So there is, like, that's the value is meaninglessness, nothing to it, et cetera.
0: Yeah. And so what it taught our generation to do is to deconstruct and laugh and find irony. And irony is king. But it really taught us to do nothing with it. You know, and then that's it. That's the end. And it turns out that people need more than that. You know, it it's turns unlivable. Out, yeah. It,
1: can, and even like Seinfeld himself, like if you ever like listen to long interviews with him, Right. he himself believes like he, he says that he spouses the kind of values that the show did, but he can't live it out. No, Like of he's actually not. got a marriage that he really believes in and Exactly. But but like did you ever watch his comedians in Cars Getting Coffee oh, yeah, where it's yeah. him and Ellen DeGeneres? I didn't see that one. It's fascinating
0: because she's so earnest and yes. Yeah.
1: And you, you get the impression when you watch it. Mean, I don't want to comment on these people's actual feelings, but my wife and I were watching it and Jenny's like, she does not like him. Yeah. Like you get the impression she's offended by lots of things he's saying. And he keeps wanting to like make jokes about things that you can tell. She's like, that's not, I don't find that funny. That's not, a, that's not a joke to me. Yeah. I believe in this. And he's like, come on. Yeah. And, it's just very different because they're both comedians. They're yeah. both trying to be funny.
0: It's a comedy show. How awkward! But it it is an awkward episode, I think. Well, it's an it's an awkward experience to get to the end of Seinfeld and realize I haven't been rooting for any of the supposed heroes of the show because I guess in life there are no heroes and everything is absurd, right? Yeah. What um you know I was watching this video that was deconstructing um. David Foster Wallace's take on on this and the person was saying the office is a an updated version of Seinfeld that expresses and what a new generation's looking for that the that I guess corrects the flaws in Seinfeld. In the office you have a similar circumstance. Here's something every everyday and average an office place and meaningless. Like yeah. to be fair, yeah. like it is the most generic
1: That's right. bureaucratic yeah. space that is a they all have meaningless jobs. Yes,
0: And you can There's plenty to deconstruct. All the wrong people get power. Here's the office romance. Here's the absurdity of the capitalist system on on display here, whatever. Chan. Yeah, Chan. But the... uh, the biggest takeaway, though, is that oh, this is really a show about friendship and love. It's a it's sweetness. There's a yeah. sweetness in it that's not inside. You care anywhere. deeply for people, and I'll ask my even stu- the worst people, even that's Dwight, right. even Michael.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah,
0: you say worst, I and mean, I would put that in air quotes because by the end of the show, you see, oh, Dwight's really sweet and kind natured. And I'll ask my students, you know, do you hate Michael? And no one raises their hand. Yeah. And I'll say, but Michael says these incredibly sexist things. And Michael says these incredibly racist things. Don't you think he's sexist and racist and awful? And they're like, no. I mean, he says those things. I'm like, well, why, why, why? And they say, because in the end, you realize that Michael's performing what he thinks is masculine. You know, so he, he talks about women a certain way that is very off-putting and bad. But in the end, you realize, oh, Michael wants a wife and a family and, and love, deep, abiding, meaningful love. Friendship. Well, that's really what yeah, he wants. That's right. And so th- I want to have 100 kids. Remember yeah. that episode? So, you know, the show leaves us with something hopeful. And I'm seeing that getting updated. You know, uh, we were talking before the podcast today about Ted Lasso. You brought it up just organically. Ted Lasso does this too, right? Um, this is a show... Some people dismiss the show as just being, like a show about being nice. I think that's uh, a misunderstanding. Every episode you have somebody that's like, uh, you hurt my feelings really bad. You did this thing that was wrong. And then the person's like, you're right, I did that. I'm really sorry that I did that. I desire to be in a relationship with you. And the other person says, I forgive you. It's okay. Uh, let's be in a relationship with each other. And I'm weeping on my couch. I'm yeah. like, why is this soccer show that's just about... Uh, conflict, resolution, and forgiveness making me cry all the time. And I'm like, oh, I know why. Because everywhere I look in my culture right now, from the politics I look at and the sports that I look at and and a lot of the uh, online social media, you know, pop culture uh, stuff, even some of the memes, you know, that are are created – is this, it never encourages this kind of behavior. It's like this lost art form to forgive people. And it turns out it's like this deep longing for us to get along and love each other and give each other a break and mm-hmm. cut each other some slack. So much so that when that show has a character, which is where we are now, right, who doesn't reconcile with people, you know, who chooses not to reconcile but to leave and leave on bad terms, it hurts so bad, right? I think the show is tapping into something, a, a deep desire with a new generation that's grown up in a real conflict-oriented society yeah. that says, oh, there's something higher and deeper and more meaningful in life, and I should i should seek that out, and, and I, I actually long for that.
1: Yeah, I think about like the way that what you're saying about forgiveness and Ted Lasso is interesting to me because one of the things that happens culturally, I think, like you said, with this generation— is the conflict becomes so intense, right? So Seinfeld, you couldn't, like, like Jerry is only always annoyed at people who want to, like, put their values on him. And that was kind of the whole thing. And then you look at, like, what happened with Michael Richards in the end of his career, where he, like, says this racist thing, and he's one of the early people to kind of get, like, shown up, kind of canceled for it. Uh... But you can tell in that space, he's just saying this stuff out of like a nihilistic, meaningless, look, words don't matter, yada yada. And that idea that ideology gets rejected. And so I think the problem what comes out of that is that there's some right rejection that says, actually, if if you say nothing matters, then these really bad things are allowed to continue. And so that stuff gets gets judged. But the earnestness and the over-the-top over kind of aspect of that, I think, does give rise to what, what happens with Ted Lasso, where, oh, no, we can forgive people, even for bad things. Mm-hmm. What's interesting to me, right, I mean, as a, a religious person and a theologian and ethicist, is in that show, uh, there's a sense of, like, spirituality that's, that's pervasive in a lot of the characters and these high-minded ideals. But it's interesting that there's there's always an explicit, like, rejection or a dodge from grounding those in anything. Yeah. You know, so it's like the universe is trying to tell me something. And I find myself thinking, like, what do these guys believe the universe is? Because they don't seem to mean, like, scientific ways of thinking when they say that. But they don't want to say something like God. Right. Uh, And, like, when churches appear in that show, you know, there's the scene where uh, Beard goes to the church. Mm -hmm. When churches appear, oh, no, no, it's really a dance club. Yeah. And that's that's the fun place. Uh, the soccer field is holy. These yeah. it's it's this is I think uh, Foster Everest Wallace does some of this too. That what comes after postmodernity is not the like reaching back and grabbing of meta narratives that are grounded in or have some foundation in a an absolute universal story, but rather they're just localized. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still a sense that this is the game that we play. Yeah. And we're gonna play this game because this game works for us it, it, it's a pragmatic sort of forgiveness yeah like why should we forgive people on Ted lasso and the answer is well you'll be happier if you do you'll have a, you'll have a, a better time if you do but I like I don't when I watch that show one of the I, I really like it but one of the things that was really frustrating to me is like why does Ted give up on his marriage and his kid and uh, why can't they work that out and the answer is hmm just, just wasn't meant to be. Just didn't work out. Okay, well, got to forgive you. Got to move on. But something like a marriage vow, that's not a serious moral quandary. It hurts him, but the fact that they like made vows to each other, that's not. That's not the thing. Yeah. So it, they're still performing like an ethic, and an ethic that I have a lot of sympathy for, and that's one of the reasons I think the show's so admirable. Yeah. Uh, but they get at that ethic in ways that are for me incomprehensible. I feel very much like an outsider when I watch it.
0: What what's interesting to me about this <clears throat> one of the things that's interesting to me about this conversation is it started with people don't tell jokes anymore. This, yeah, this we've was getting really serious here. This was an art form like telling jokes. Well no, it, timing and th- all that. The evolution of it has um the evolution of this conversation has been has been good for me because there's something in uh, a generational medium that that is hovering over this conversation, you know, we go from, the medium is the one-on-one art form of being able to have timing and to deliver something that makes another human being laugh. Mm -hmm. From, you know, the standard, uh, um, you know, Thursday night NBC comedy show to meme culture. You know, I'm wondering if for future generations, I don't know if people will watch television shows in fifteen years, like, do your kids watch them? Like, does not does Tommy, really.
1: See, no. I have to like, I have to push Elijah sometimes. Me say, too. Go, we said this on one of the earlier episodes. Like, watch something with a story. Tommy was watch watching Mr. Beast plot. or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's the same thing. Like this happens in video games too. Like, even the the simple games I played when I was a kid, like Mario Brothers. There's still kind of a story to this, and there's advancement and so forth and so on. And then, like, great games were almost like movies that you navigated through. I played this game called Ghost of Tsushima recently. Of course you did. It was so beautiful, Heath. It was, like, the the ending, I was, like, in tears. It was so powerful. Uh, But I know the games that are most addictive to my 15-year-old and my 9-year-old. And if I'm being honest, the games that I can can let myself get addicted to – are the meaningless little phone games you know that candy crush style games that don't there's no story there's it's just kind of flashy light and i I, I think that some of that may be generational, but I think that's more just technological because think about how old people get sucked into that kind of stuff too yeah uh, so I, I wonder if the like the loss of things like story yeah. plot meaning or like the patience to tell a joke, yeah. You know, I'm going to sit and listen to the setup and listen to this is part of uh, maybe less generational and more that, that it's technological advancing. that.
0: Yeah, I also don't. I'm always hesitant to be the guy in the room finger wagging at a generation who finds humor in TikTok videos instead of watching the Thursday night. That's right. Uh, comedy. But it is, you know, when you're in the midst of it. And, you, and I feel like we're a guinea pig right now mm-hmm. where it's like, here's. Here's how we're gonna cons- here's how we're gonna veg out and consume entertainment and laugh. You know, I, I do this regularly where Hanno makes fun of me, where it's like I would oftentimes rather watch the videos I have saved. I say videos. So you know, these are like the you know 30 second clips yeah. that I have saved on social media. and I'm over there just rolling, laughing uh, than sit down and watch you know the period drama or whatever or the Thursday night comedy, which I haven't done that, you know, in years.
1: Yeah, to me it's not a, I'm not finger wagging at a generation because I I get it and I see like, you know, my mom playing Wordle is the same phenomenon as Elijah with his Island Dragon game or whatever.
0: But Uh, but to me one of the. It's a
1: different, I I think that's a different phenomenon than absurdist humor. Yeah. uh, And jokes. But there's something analogous going on in here.
0: So oftentimes when I'm talking to students about worldview creation, right? The things that, what do we think and why do we think it when we think it? And why does thinking go bad? And not only for individuals, but for large groups of people. And I'll have them even list out on a sheet of paper. Here's all the things, here are all of the influences I have on my worldview. And they always start with the obvious things. Mom, dad, brother, uh, important you know, mentors in their life, coaches, uh, preachers, you know, these kinds of things. And then they'll kind of uh, on the aside say, oh yeah, and all the kind of media and things like that that I consume. And I'm always interested in that little aside because I actually think that the entertainment we consume, the jokes we consume, the memes we consume, the television we consume, the movies that we consume are creating and reflecting values in us on a deep, deep subliminal level that are having much more Of an effect on their worldview sometimes maybe than even the closest people in their lives yeah i think that's true and
1: i'll tell you another place that that shows up not just in pop culture but in really invisible ways like in architecture for example i was reading you're not going to
0: start talking about coffins again are you no okay (laughs)
1: but but in architecture i was i was reading about this uh, sociological thing where uh we live in, like, all of our architecture is boxes, boxes, mm-hmm. boxes everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all just rectangles put together. And that leads us to think about the world in ways that are different than people who live in more, nat- they're out in nature more, mm-hmm. where it's not, it's all bendy shapes, you know, and uh, you don't think in segmented things as much that way. So I was going to give this illustration about uh, this sociologist took, uh, a Necker cube, you know, like you draw a cube on a piece of paper yeah. and it looks three dimensional. And he shows one of those to this tribe that lives in mud huts that they make that are all round and they're yeah. all farmers. And so they live outside and these, the, the architecture is very simple. It's all handmade and rounded. And he shows them like a, a two dimensional cube drawn on a piece of paper and gives them pieces of wire and says, make that. And they will lay the wire down flat and make a two dimensional shape on the ground. Hmm. But if you show that to American kids, they all make cubes mm-hmm. because we're already pre-programmed to see cubes. So, like that sort of architectural thing—that's none of us think about that. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, I think does regiment our worldview to think about how we think about order, how we think about industry, how we think about uh, even just decisions and, and things that we make.
0: Yeah, and and this is Tom. This is uh, cliche, probably, but the I. I tend to think people are deeply desiring a way to make sense of the world, right? The world is complex. The world is difficult. We are biopsychosocially conditioned to narrow our worldviews, to have in-groups and out-groups. All the things people are voting on are just so complicated. Who am I supposed to believe? What bumper sticker am I supposed to have? What t-shirt am I supposed to wear? What group is mine? You know, these kinds of things. And at its best, the mediums we've talked about today can help us to negotiate these questions that we don't even know we're supposed to be asking. They reflect them back to us and help us to live in them. As a friend of ours said this week about books too, it's like this gives me a chance to uh, make mistakes with characters so I don't have to make them in real life. So that that's the only like finger waggy part I have with my son and, and him wanting to just watch these what I, what I, you know, the, the codger in me says is like these asinine YouTube videos and all just scrolling through memes. It's like, it doesn't, is it giving you an opportunity to do that? Well, in the way that the shows of our generation, I think, did.
1: I think that's right. And so the, the thing that maybe this conversation is helpful is to say in thinking about memes yeah. or thinking about inane little videos or whatever, like it, having a conversation. creation
0: and consumption. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like saying
1: to Elijah, Why do you think you think these things are funny and Papa thinks these things are funny? Like that sort of conversation helps us think through how we see the world differently. It maybe helps us understand ourselves and other people a little bit better.
0: So it's not just popular culture. It's everything. It's more than that. Uh, my hot take for this time is Tecmo Bowl. The when did that come out? Is that it's gotta eight, be lot eight, late 80s, late eighties. Late eighties era video game. Uh, you know, my son plays a little bit of video games now. Tecmo Bowl or Super Tecmo, Tecmo Bowl? Bowl okay. Son, come on now. Okay. Well, you're uh, a little older than I am. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're a year older than you. It's enough. The uh, I did grow up in Cersei, so actually I'm, I'm 31 sorry. years old. I, should, than I me. shouldn't say Cersei. I did grow up in the county seat. And you grew up in, in rural Arkansas, and so really, yeah. you're 30 years behind me. Thank God. And so, Tecmo Bowl is something that came out, came out in the 80s when you were growing up in the 1950s. That's right. Um, yeah, my, my son plays some video games now, you know, the minecraft kind of things. And, and Love it. NBA 2K, and the graphics are just... Do you even call them graphics anymore? I don't even know what you call them, but they're so sophisticated, unbelievable. And I was like, "Hey, man, I, I found online one of these. It looks like the old Nintendo console, but it has digitally, you know, hundreds of games on it." And yeah, it's called an emulator, yes. whatever. And uh, mobile I basically bought it for Tech Bowl because I I loved that game so much. You know, it can it can do hardly anything. <laughs> you no, know, it's like four plays, two buttons, two buttons. You can't juke nope. hardly. I mean, you can. you can kind of like running around in circles. You can run like. around in circles and make the defenders
1: it fall. Is, yeah. It
0: is so much fun. And, uh, of course, a lot of it is uh, highlighting just nostalgia of my childhood and staying up late with friends and beating the game, which meant like going through an entire yeah, season. Right. It's so easy to beat. But introducing it to my son and him loving it. Oh, yeah. For all the, all the reasons that I loved it, there's just something about the simplistic nature of the game and uh, us competing with each other and introducing him to something that I love has led him being like, well, I want you to play me in 2K. And It's been a fun thing, uh, uh, intergenerational connection points, finding stuff from from your life to share with with people you love. So what team do you you play? Well, this is a a debate. My son loves to win. He's very competitive and I am too. I'm not one of these fathers who's like, you know let them win I'm like no, no sir. I, I want to I want them good to rather. remember the day they beat me because it right. was such a big it deal it ought
1: to, they ought to the first time they win they ought to, it ought to yeah. hurt a yeah, little yeah, yeah, bit yeah. like a little tear like oh dad's human so <laughs> I, I, I
0: told him that I'm unbeatable with San Francisco right I'm unbeatable this was Joe Montana Jerry Rice Jerry Rice Roger Craig Ronnie yeah. Lott on defense I'm unbeatable Ronnie Lott is so fast on defense and they have a play that just can't be stopped right Guys going across the middle, you can you can pick it every time. The only way you can stop it is if the guy doesn't behave the way he's supposed to, which happens occasionally. It's a glitch or something. And but I just can't be beat. The only way you can beat me is if you score every single time and you get the ball last. And usually that doesn't work out. So and he's like, no, no, whatever, dad. And I'm like, okay. So I played him, I beat him, you know, two, three touchdowns. So then it was okay. New rule: I, I I won't be either Chicago or. Uh, San Francisco, because I'm virtually unbeatable with Walter Payton, Walter Payton and, and all that yeah. kind of stuff, too. So the the, the lingo for the, you say, it's they're OP. They're OP? What does that mean? Overpowered. Oh, they're overpowered. They're, they're OP. Okay, okay, they're OP. This and, is Smash Brothers lingo. Yeah, okay. So then it's like, okay, well, what's next level team? So getting into the, that's been fun. You know, do I want to play with Dan Marino or Bernie Kosar yeah. or... Herschel Walker, he can beat me with those teams, and he has. And but that that levels the playing field. It's more fun, but it also is nostalgia for me too, because it's like, oh, I get to play with who's on this team. You know, the Giants have Lawrence Taylor. Okay, do I remember I'll play with Lawrence Taylor? Do I remember? Is it Super Techmobile Bowl or is it
1: Techmobile Bowl where Bo Jackson for the Raiders is unbelievable? I think right. that's Super Techmobile.
0: Bowl. Tec- he's on Techmobile. Bowl oh, too. Okay, they okay. have Marcus Allen and yeah, no, okay, it's that one. It's that one. It's Tecmo it's, Bowl. It's he's so good that it basically forces you I have to pick the Bo Jackson play every time. Right. Because if if the other guy picks it then, you know, it's thirty yards, forty yards, or maybe even a touchdown every time. My friend so Jed fast. Davis
1: used to beat me with he was a Bo Jackson like yeah. super fan and he used to beat beat me in that game with Bo Jackson. But if
0: you time. but then when you're you know, when my son figures out I mean he's just picking Bo Jackson every time. Then he goes to some of those pass plays yeah, that right. Once you figure out those pass plays, you know, you can drop back and throw these 80-yard bombs, and the other guy can't really do anything about it, and that, that's fun.
1: That probably was too long for a hot take, <laughs> but we, we really got yeah. into tech yeah, mobile yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. What's okay. your hot take? Uh, it's not not as good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll do a video game one. Let me just do a video game one. If you ask what the greatest video game ever made is, I'd probably say something like, You know, uh, Zelda's Ocarina of Time. It's a pretty
0: class standard answer. You are such a board game nerdy kind. of All of those out there who love the the board gamey, you know, nerdy kind of stuff. Max, this Max is, you know, turn your radio up. Do people listen to this? Turn your (laughs) cell phones up. (laughs) Well,
1: I'll do one about board games sometime. But the the game that I would say I've gotten the most delight out of over the long haul of my life has been the Super Smash Brothers series. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I got into it when I was in youth ministry years ago. the The kids played it, and so I I had a system. We bought the game, and they would come over on Mondays after school, and we would play because you play four or five people, you know, at a time. time, That was good for parties, whatever. And I I was playing it at that time. I think on maybe the Nintendo sixty four, and then we had the GameCube version, and the anyway. So now my son, uh, my oldest son, and I play it on the Nintendo Switch, and it's just. It's so fun, so many different characters. Mm-hmm. the The gameplay on it's delightful. I love the one on one. He now, for years, I would always beat him, and now he's like on the esports team at school where they play mm-hmm. it, and he watches videos about how to learn the combos and things. So I call that cheating, but <laughs> I still am able Research. to win. Yeah, I still am able to win some, which is great. There's so many characters that you can you can play around with, and it's been like as a dad, it's been a tremendous blessing to have. Like, it does for me what I think in the 50s throwing a baseball with the kid did. Interesting. And and sometimes I feel bad about that. Like, oh, we're not outside using our bodies, and we should do more of that. But I also don't want to downplay the real connection that we have and the good conversations and the sense of dad was interested in something I was interested in. And, like, legit, like, I have fun with it. And
0: just being in playing the room. That, yeah, just, yeah, and playing yeah. that
1: game together. And for him to move from – dad beat me every time to now, Mm -hmm. if we play ten games, dad's going to win two or three if I'm playing my best character. Maybe. Mm -hmm. That's a neat thing for a kid. So, Super Smash Brothers. Alright, take my ball over here. (laughs) Next time I'm back in Heath, I want to ask you a question, Heath. Okay, what is it? one I've been debating a long time with a friend. Yeah. I want to know whether or not
0: ambition is good or bad. Uh, I love it. Um, I have... Been debating this with my own wife at home. I would want to tie it into like success, excellence, all that, all this conversation. Americans are getting this wrong, and it's time we set it right. Well, I'll look for you to set it right because I don't know the answer, well, but I, I am ambitious to uh, learn it. Unsurprisingly, I think I have it figured out. <laughs> <laughs>